All right, everyone, we're back once again. This is How to Pakistan. I have Musharraf Zaidi with me. And as always, we're back with a new episode, and he's controlling our uh, sort of music at the back. I forget what this effect is called. Like, and I thought it was a flange. Maybe it's not. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow. So, you know what that reminds me of? Yeah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, welcome, everyone, to another episode of How to Pakistan. You know what the phalange thing reminds me of? What? There's this character in, in Friends that Phoebe plays. Rebecca Phalange. Okay, and, I forget. And she just, yeah, yeah, she just pulls that out of the hat, like... You know, once every like 15, 20 episodes. Right. And and the kind of high-pitched nasal, it's just really, really funny. Okay. So, well, Ballast from the past. Yeah. And we started off with a Rage Against the Machine song. And one of the reasons for that is we've got a guest today who exemplifies both intellectual rigor and a huge degree of integrity. We really respect his integrity. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we're really pleased to have... His Holiness, yeah. Pope. Uh, Shri Shri Amar Rashid. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. So, no, no, let me, let me set it up because we usually do long-winded intros uh, only for the reason that we think that most of our guests are amazing. Most, not all. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. No, no. We, do you want to set up the intro to Ahmad? Because, no, no, please, please. So Ahmad is, is a writer, uh, a musician, a uh, poet, an activist. Um, he is highly educated. Uh, he is the, I believe he's the Secretary General of the Avami Workers' Party, which is the most mainstream and most visible leftist uh, political body in the country. They recently contested elections uh, at the local level um, with some degree of success, success meaning a good showing. Uh, did they win any seats? We won three seats in Islamabad. Fantastic. And so, other so places three. as well. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So you can tell us all about that. Ahmad Ashid uh, also happens to be, I'm very privileged and lucky to be able to call people like Ahmad a friend, even though we disagree about 99.994% of, uh, of all things. It's probably fair. Thanks for, thanks for joining <laughs> us, Ahmad. No, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the show. And both of you guys. Really? Amazing. Which episode did you hear? Uh, my <laughs> personal favorite. Hussain Akani one, I, I, I was. Oh, he's heard them. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's <laughs> just heard the one. You know. No, no, I've, I've heard I've heard like several, like okay. at least three, four. And which one did you like the best? So, Hussain Akani one, that was really interesting. Uh, Sana Mir, I was already a huge fan, so. That was good to hear. And your, I mean, your, your, intro, your introductory episode as well. Like as so his that. credentials check out. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And especially that, that sort of the fact that, you know, Hossein's was interesting, yeah. Senamir's was great, yeah. and our pilot episode was, what did you use the word? Best. Best. Was, it, was, that the, was that the adjective? No, I mean, it was good. I think it was a really good intro. It got people hooked on right from the start. So I think, I, I think this podcast is one of the better things to have happened to at least like our social media space in this, in this past few months. It was such an auspicious All right, start. We're done here. Yeah. Thank you for joining. <laughs> <laughs> we just needed one endorsement. So one of the things that um, I know we're going to be discussing a lot of things, but one of the things that you're really, um, you know, I've seen a lot of media activity from you and it's amazing work that, you know, all these kachibastis around that the CDA is trying to um, actually demolish and, you know, get people moving. And you're there at the forefront of the protest to stand up for their rights. So would it be fair to call you a slumlord? In <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do get accused of that quite, quite a lot, yeah. So, I mean, we have been accused of uh, being the people who are actually the land mafia yeah. and, like, protecting land grabbers and so on and so forth. Um, but no, I mean, I, I honestly feel like we're just, uh, I mean, we're engaging in, this is politics for us. I mean. It's not, I mean, but before you, sorry, before you continue, there's a lot of people who would have, uh, they might have heard of Ahmad yeah. or leftism, but they may not know specifically of the issue with the CDA. So if you don't mind, Ahmad, mm -hmm. can you set us up with exactly what the issue is, um, what happened, how it happened, when it happened, how you and your political party got involved, um, and then we can ask you questions about why you are so anti-Pakistan. <laughs> I'd love to get to that. But um, yeah, so this is a pretty long-standing issue as far as uh, in Pakistan generally and Islamabad as well, like the issue of uh, land rights of, of informal settlements. They've been in Islamabad since the capital was made. I mean, the original labor who built Islamabad established the first Kachiabadis. 
So it's been ongoing for a long time and many people in our party have worked on Isn't it. Isn't Islamabad itself like a big, big ass Kachiyawadi? Yeah, it's a Kachiyawadi for the rich mostly. But, but I mean, it's, it's, um, so, I mean, it's something that's been going on for a very long time. But what, what really happened, uh, like what's been happening in the past couple of years is since the PMLN came into power, um, there has been a renewed push uh, in Islamabad to clear away the Kachiyawadis. And uh, particularly this push has been like, um, and it's come in the context of a lot of other things happening in the country. So it's become about, it became also about terrorism, it became about security, it became about a lot of things. Is terrorism and, kind of becoming like the catch-all for everything that's like uh, undesirable and we just associate it with terrorism and then so, like for example, like this whole doc, Dr. Awesome thing with, with the NAB thing, that's, here's a guy who basically is close to Zadari and probably, you know, I don't feel good saying this, but you know, because one never likes to just give in to like broad sort of brush strokes, brush strokes. But I, I can I can live with the fact that people think that he's a crook, given that his boss is seen as a crook, and given that they haven't done a lot to disabuse people of that notion. But being a crook and being a terrorist, or being a terrorist enabler, mm -hmm. the, they seem to be different sort of things. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think I mean, in Pakistan, terrorism has just become like this big bogeyman um, and the issue of securitization as well. Like all discourses have become securitized. Like it's discourses of accountability uh, have become securitized. Discourses about land have become securitized. So it's just become this one way in which the state can simply intervene in whatever it, way it wishes. Um, I mean, this is something of, very close to our heart as well. Like 60 of our party members have been fighting terrorism charges. Uh, since uh, the I-11 Katsibadi was demolished for over six months. So, I mean, it's just, and it's, it's preposterous. I mean, these are like laborers, these are working class people who were just like standing there and they were picked up by the police. And now they're stand accused of terrorism. So, like, yeah, yeah it's, I think it's just become a very convenient bogeyman for the state to employ whenever it uh, needs to like dispossess people, whenever it needs to uh, gather resources for itself. Is it also so, in part because the sort of terrorism related clauses require less evidence up front than, you know, the others which require much yeah, more work on absolutely. the back end. I mean, and the thing is they have a legal framework in place which enables them to do this, things like the Pakistan Protection Act, which was just passed by Parliament, the, the 21st Amendment, things like that, that have simply provided a framework for, for the state and for the military to act with impunity and like imprison Can I, is it okay if I challenge you on that a little bit? Sure, you, you know, because I sort of... Uh, I wrote the law. <laughs> It took away everyone's rights. Yeah, so you were saying what the law you wrote. No, no, I, no. I didn't write it. Okay. I'm not there yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm coming for you, Fussy Zaka. It's going to be called the Fussy Zaka law. <laughs> Fussy Zaka law. <laughs> I'm going to take away your rights. My rights. So, when you say it like that, it sounds as if a bunch of dudes got together mostly dudes because there's hardly any women involved in this, a bunch of dudes and a couple of token women got together mm -hmm. and said, how can we dispossess people of their rights? And they then devised the 21st Amendment and military courts and the entire national security regime of 2016, mm -hmm. which is designed essentially to eliminate uh, the scourge of essentially violent extremist uh, born terrorism. Mm -hmm but probably also to an extent uh, ethno-nationalist terror, which is also born out of a particular kind of virulent extremism. Mm -hmm. Notwithstanding that all of those extremisms may have some moral justifications, may, uh, and, and people can make those arguments. But when you say it like that, it's like, well, that there's actually no terrorism and people just want to take people's rights and people's land away and that's why they came up with this. Mm -hmm. Do you worry about being perceived to be caricatured, being perceived as a caricature of your actual position? Because I know mm -hmm. it can't be that. That can't be your position. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I mean, the caricature thing, it happens like fairly often, so we're used to that. Um, but I, I, I feel like it's not, I, it's not um, I don't think of it as a conspiracy. Like, I don't think it's as, as you describe it, a bunch of people sitting in a room and devising up ways to um, subjugate people or take away their resources and figuring out devious ways to do it. I think this happens much more insidiously. This is a long process of, of, of socialization. It's a structural issue. It's issues of institutional biases that seep into uh, the state from long-standing imbalances of power. 
from practices where the state has simply historically not been accountable to the people. Okay, historically, so, how far does history go back for you when you do this analysis? From the origins of the state, it's a colonial state that the, the structure that we live under was instituted by the British. It was not so a, unlike a few sort of angry aunties and uncles, you're not upset at 47 in particular or the objectives resolution. You're saying that the structure, like the entire infrastructure, like you're going back at least 1857, probably Absolutely. a bit further I mean, yeah, back, yeah, starts, and maybe even you, maybe you don't like the Mughals either. I, I mean, I mean, I think I think this area has had a history of being ruled by exploitative outsiders who often come in and put extractive institutions in place. So yeah, so I think this is a continuity that extends much, uh, much before uh, 1947. Though that in itself presents its own set of problems, but uh, the colonial infrastructure is, is is one of the principal issues, and which I think a lot of people simply don't realize still hasn't really changed. So, in, in, if I was to interject, as I have been constantly in heaven. I haven't allowed you to finish two, two whole sentences, which is what we do. Um, and you're very polite to, to keep letting me do that, because at, some, at a certain point, you must actually read I'm going to shake myself at some Yeah, exactly. Just, just say, no, let me finish my book. But here's the thing. It sounds to me like you're a reformist. Like, I don't, I don't know what's up with this whole red, like, oh, look at my star, and like, you know, we're leftists and everything, because actually what you're saying is we have a state infrastructure that doesn't work. Fussy, do you agree with that? I do agree with that. I agree with that. Do you think we should do something about it? Absolutely. I think we should do something about it. Are you a leftist? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to say no. So, so, do you, you see what I'm saying? Again? No, no, I'm just saying no, no, no. <laughs> well played. Well played, Ahmad. All I'm saying is, uh, what, what, doesn't the label actually get in the way? Because on reforming the state, I'm, I mean, I'm a supporter. Sign me up. Where can I sign? I, I mean, I, I would welcome you. I mean, I think if you guys believe in, in these fundamental precepts, that yes, we have an exploitative structure and political and economic system in place in Pakistan, uh, the state is a big part of it. It has to do with the state's um, post-colonial origins as well as its ideological basis. And these things present a set of problems which we have to resolve through collective action involving working class and people marginalized and oppressed by the system. Uh, and I mean, and that has to present a challenge to the state. I, I just want to add a question to this. And yeah. one thing, I, so the way you said, you know, with the working classes reaching out, and it's all framed in terms of their interests. Mm -hmm. Why do you then think that they've not signed up to this project, you know, sort of like the AWP or any a number of other uh, workers-oriented or mm -hmm. pro-poor organizations? Mm -hmm. Why is it that that sort of class consciousness is so elusive? I mean, I think it, I, I, if you look at Pakistan's history, I think it's been cyclical. I think you've had moments when this class consciousness has very much been at the fore, much like in other other states. And along with the with the ebb and flow of history, these things have like obviously gone down. And Pakistan, in particular, like the left was like destroyed everywhere uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union, but in Pakistan, in particularly, it was like near decimated completely. And I mean, and there's a number of reasons. And obviously, the left has its own shortcomings here. I think there's many things in which left parties did not. Uh, like the ways in which they were not able to adapt themselves to the needs of the time, um, having to do with, say, not being able to indigenize their discourse uh, well enough, not being able to pay sufficient attention to the national question, which ultimately led to the breakaway of nationalist forces from uh, left forces. So I think there's all of those things, but I think there's also, I think you have to look at the exceptional character of the state that we live in. I mean, this was one of the, has been one of the most deeply anti communist states in the world, probably Pakistan and the United States, but perhaps Saudi Arabia, you could definitely rank right up there. So we, this has had this history, this country has had a, system, a history of systematic suppression of all forms of class consciousness. There's been an ideological project that uh, paints all sort of progressive challenges to power as being atheistic, as being foreign, as being foreign conspiracies, etc. And again, that happens in way to varying degrees in different parts of the world, but the, the rapidness with which that, that's happened here and the systematic nature of the account uh, of, of that process in which society has been like systematically depoliticized. I mean, through series like authoritarian interventions, long periods of military rule, where representative institutions were completely destroyed, collective institutions were destroyed, student unions, like one of the main repositories of class consciousness often that emerged, of political consciousness, haven't existed for over 30, 40 years. How, where, how, how are you going to develop this consciousness? So I think the state, I mean, obviously the left has its shortcomings. We've made a lot of mistakes and we're now trying to re-emerge from like this period of decline and trying to learn from those mistakes. But I think it also, we also need to bear in mind 
instead of always just blaming the victim as we tend to do in this society, to realize that there are some deeply fundamental things that are wrong with the ideological artifice of the state and that is part of what we have to now articulate in a way that is accessible and in the way that most people in this uh, society can understand. And I don't, I don't think it's an impossible project. I think it's it's doable. Yeah. Now, just one question also on this is that, you know, when you're talking about the artifice, the ideological artifice, and you're trying to make yourself more relatable once again, whether it's indigenizing the language of the left or mm -hmm. whatever theory there is. But you also realize that this country is now overwhelmingly mm -hmm. religious. Absolutely. And it is overwhelmingly even motivated by religion. It's a lever that, you know, so many parties use, mm -hmm. other things. And is this one of the no-go areas of the left? Or is there a way, I mean, I know there was the whole Islamic socialism and all of that, course, but, yeah. but how, how do you um, sort of reconcile what you believe, what you want to do with what are very different motivating forces for, say, your target audiences? No, absolutely. I, I think that's, that's a really good question. It's a debate that is like ongoing right now in different left circles in the country. And I, I think historically, we, we, we have, we, like the left has made a lot of uh, mistakes in this respect and the degree to which it hasn't sort of, um, I mean while it, like Islamic socialism was an experiment that was tried for a time but I mean there wasn't really any concerted attempt to sort of engage like indigenous traditions in a political way to politicize uh, indigenous cultures of resistance. But I, 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 I think that right now as things stand, we, the AW, as far as the AWP is concerned, I mean so I think this question is, is is definitely being debated, but it's but it's it's something that we feel can can be engaged with now. The society is deeply religious, of course. Society thinks in terms that are that are deeply like non non secular. That, uh, but at the same time, there is space. What we find when we go out there and when we're doing our politics, especially in working classes, I think we often live in a lot of these middle class echo chambers where this identity is so much more important. But often in the spaces that we're working in, these questions are there and they're part of people's consciousness, religion and religious identity, but it's not something that people feel is like um, an impediment to them engaging in forms of collective action for their rights. I mean, and that can still happen. It's just that there has not been a political force that has articulated this to, to the working classes of this country for, for decades now. This has been, they've completely wiped off the map. I think, I think once that project, and the project has now resumed, so I think once that communication is made of what the left stands for and those sort of illusions about it simply being about disbelief or undermining faith and undermining religion, I mean obviously there is a criticism of, of, of fundamentalism, of clericalism, of, of, of religious institutions as well. But I don't think that, like unlike many liberals, I think we need to make that a central focus of our politics because ultimately many of, much of the fundamentalism that we see today, I mean it, these are structural issues. Not to say that you just completely attribute them to one thing like poverty or or something else. I mean, it's, it, it, it is this, the state structure that exists. It is the exploitative structure. It is like global, like imperialist forces as well. It is the ideological structure of the state that has manipulated religion to like for its own strategic objectives. There's there's a lot of things. It's the power of clerics that have been afforded in this authority to hold forth and have state patronage while they do it. So it's so it's a lot of these different things. But again, I think it's it's about understanding that it's about power more than you can simply make it about either religious faith or about any one factor, you know? I, you know, I, whenever I hear the term Islamic socialism, I, I'm, I'm a little bit put off by it, sort of, as somebody who's, I mean, to me, I, I don't see the distinction necessarily between Islam and socialist values. Uh, the vast majority of, Muslim values or Islamic values and socialist values. There's a there's a very big overlap. This is not these are not mutually exclusive sort of isms. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, for for me personally, and I think for many people, one ism feeds and reinforces the other. Um, it just so happens that within Islam, there's plenty of room for capitalist instincts as well, and so I think that's where that's the kind of point of divergence. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think it's possible for somebody to be a good Muslim and a good socialist at the same time? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know lots of like devout there are people who are actually devout believers who are in our party. Like I, I, I consider myself a believer myself. There's also many non-believers, complete um, like people who call themselves athe uh, atheists or uh, or. Those Sorry? Those is keys. 
Those of his. Kafir. Kafir. Um, we need to be, we, we are always very careful in terms of religion and our politics because, I mean, because it is, because one has to be very frank about it. religion is tied in with power, religion is tied in with exploitative structures, um, religion allows people a certain form of political capital which can be employed to very destructive ends. But aren't, and, uh, okay, so let's, can I mean, I just add at, one quick question is yeah. like one of the things that I do sometimes find with the left, and again, I think that maybe it would have a problem even at the lower tiers of society, mm -hmm. is what's the form of economics that you bring to the table? Is it old, state-dominated, state-controlled in its entirety? Is it the mixed economy? Mm -hmm. Or are you okay now with the capitalist system? Because I think one of the measures of which, you know, people these days at least, when they evaluate more left-of-left left parties, yeah is it something that sometimes turns them off as if the economics is particularly old-fashioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, again, these are things about this, there's lots of debates happening, not just in Pakistan, everywhere across the world, as uh, left forces begin to sort of reorganize and reassemble and pose a challenge. And I think, and I mean, at, the, at, at, the, at a fundamental level, I think it's about um, creating, a, creating an economic system that, uh, that, that whose institutions are designed to work for the majority. And often, I mean, I mean, a lot of people paint these ideas as very utopian, but I think a lot of them are very simple, simple ideas. They're, they have to do with the fact that, like, there, there is a fundamental disjoint between, uh, between those who have, like, control over resources and between those who don't. And, and this, this has been maintained through violence, through, uh, through coercion, through institutional measures to keep, um, to keep working class people, to keep those oppressed people outside the political sphere, outside the social sphere. And it's about, and so, so, so a lot of, uh, that, uh, a lot of our economic prescriptions have to have to do with redressing those redressing those power imbalances. Whether yeah, it's but, progressive, uh, but uh, Ahmad, here's a, you know, this whole concept of what the left's economic policy is in mm -hmm. in 2016. This really is something that is close to uh, my heart in the sense that it it upsets me to see the total failure of the left to coherently challenge the kind of infrastructure of inefficiency and greed upon which the words efficiency and sort of equilibrium have been imposed. And it's the biggest con in maybe in human history for us to essentially without challenge accept Wall Street's definition of deadweight loss and efficiency and, and functionality. Why have I never, and including in your at least initial sort of description, why, why don't we see competent economists speaking from the left, arguing that in fact the new left, I know that's a very specific term. It depends so me, on how you define yeah, it. No, no, let's yeah, no, no, let's not say the new left, but the left for 2016, or forget the left for 2016. Are you talking about like in Pakistan? Or are you talking no, no, I'm just saying generally, mm -hmm. like. By the way, Pakistan is as as uh, as wrapped up in in Wall Street's sort of you know uh, Wall Street economics as as any other place, mm -hmm. at least in my view. Where is the argument that actually what what the left wants to propose is in fact efficient? That for example, if the issue is PIA, the left isn't standing with the pilots and the uh, and the labor unions for the sake of standing by inefficient. Uh, you know, sort of mm -hmm. uh, people who are addicted to, to the government dole, but in fact is standing by them because there's a way to make sure that everybody that's employed can, can continue to be gainfully employed, barring massive breaches of contract, mm -hmm. and that the efficient solution is actually a continued ownership of the national airline by the government, and the stripping away of the perks and privileges of sort of senior management, which... Mm -hmm. whose, whose perks and privileges include the ability to run rent-seeking operations by the billions mm -hmm. with each signature. I, so I, I just want to add, I, I think actually that's a really good question. Um, I just want to simplify it also. I mean, in a way, 
the left. Thank you, sir. Yeah, because you, <laughs> the the left like approaches say things like PIA from a rights based perspective of the employee, and it appears that you know the productive function of the economy or what it's supposed to be is actually ignored. So or that the customers' rights, right? Yeah, that there's yeah. more customers that PIA has than employees. So why isn't the left saying, yeah, there's a real like there's a real bastardization of, of the rights of the customer as well, that when mm -hmm. people pay a certain amount of money, they should be able to get on a plane and not be treated to hair-filled, you know, uh, chicken patties, you know. So, so, so when he's, so when, yeah, so he's right, I just, so the point being like, you know, the, the left is then sort of characterized as that, you know, it's just about making sure these people continue to have jobs as opposed to, you know, the much larger framework within which that sort of enterprise needs to work. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so... I mean, I, I, I don't know if you guys are talking about PIA because you went on about that particular example. I mean, I don't know why the left would be characterized for that because the PIA is barely dominated by the left. Like, the people who are running the show were, like, involved with political parties and mm -hmm. that's been a lot of the problem with... with I mean, we were, we were even a marginal figure in that sure. side, to be honest. But what is your take I mean, on PIA? So, Let's start with that. So, for yeah. me, I think, I think it's a... I mean, we can go into specifics, but, I mean, at, at a fundamental level, I feel like the conversation about, about privatization and particularly about PIA often gets tied into these uh, dynamics of sort of providing employment versus efficiency. When I think at a very fundamental level, it's, I think it's again, it's about the state. It's about the fact that, I mean, the state has, I mean, the state, successive governments have failed in sort of, uh, of managing PIA. I mean, it, it is clearly, and, and multiple other state institutions. And if you really look into it, you, you realize it is issues of accountability. It, it, it is issues of, again, a state structure that is simply not uh, accountable, not responsive to either its customers or its taxpayers or anyone. So instead of saying, okay, no, let's, fit, let's fix this edifice, let, let's try and make it more accountable, let's try and empower like, those at the bottom end of it to hold those at the top who are leeching off of it accountable, we just start talking about in terms of efficiency as if handing it over to the private sector, which is in cahoots with that same uh, state structure, is somehow going to magically improve it. And I don't think the evidence demonstrates that. Like, there, there are studies by the Asian Development Bank about how the majority of uh, state institutions that were privatized in the 90s onward actually stopped, either stop, uh, their profits went down or they stopped producing altogether. Like, okay, so it's interesting that like you cite an Asian Development Bank report because that brings me to another sort of theme that I wanted to explore with you. Mm -hmm. Where's the leftist, uh, where's the leftist think tank in Pakistan? Like where's the study on the effects of privatization in Pakistan, 1970 to 1980 have, to 19. The AWB has a detailed position paper on privatization. It's, it's even in Urdu, and we've we've been distributing it. We've been we've had several conversations on this. We've had seminars on this. I think a lot of the time, and that's also a problem with working on the left in Pakistan. We are actually doing a lot of things, but we are systematically ignored. Like obviously, obviously we're not huge. We can't rake in the crowds at same Mumtaz Qadri's funeral can. But we do have a lot of conversations. We do have a lot of important events. We, we bring up issues that matter, um, like, like whether it's housing, whether it's like employment, whether, it, whether it's uh, land, land rights, whether it's water rights, lots of other things. But it's very, I, I served as the information secretary for uh, AWP Islamabad Alpindi for, for two years. And I know how difficult it is to simply get journalists to publish a press release of like a, a massive public meeting you might have had, or like a massive protest that might, might have occurred. Because but this, unless, I'm surprised unless, by because, this, Ahmad, because I, you know. and, and again, so going back to your think tank question, I, I, I look, I, I would be the first to admit that, look, uh, there has been, there have been massive, like the, the left completely dropped the ball, and especially in this country. We just uh, retreated into our cocoons, we just, and a lot of people also just left it, you know, they just stopped pra just practicing this form of politics. But this is also tied in with like sort of processes and systems of power, and structures of power that exist also in the academia, also in the world of think tanks. Most of like, when you talk about think tanks in Pakistan, how many actually independent think tanks that are not functioning on donor money are actually functioning in this country that are providing sort of evidence-based policy analysis and like geared towards sort of solving uh, uh, like protracted policy problems that are not actually being funded by donor agendas? Well, like, as Dr. Nadeem al says, you know, donors now pay for for the sort of the burping and feeding of every single sort of brain cell in Pakistan. So Absolutely. I think that the answer, you know, and, and, and the that, answer that, may that, not be exactly that, but it's, it's pretty close to that. So there was, a, no, but here's the question. There's enough space within that space, uh, what, we would, what we might call donor funded uh, thinking and talking in Pakistan. 
there seems to be enough space across the entire rest of the spectrum. Why is the left being exclusively excluded? And here's where I have a challenge, where you say that there's a systematic exclusion. Fuzzy just said that he's sympathetic to the left. Uh, I think you're aware of my own sort of, you know, uh, sympathies. Or I think we can also agree we openness. certainly don't form the majority. Or, no, no, hold on. No, but I, if, li literally, uh, Ahmad, if I went through a list of every single English language columnist in the country, I don't think we'd come up with many who don't have some sympathy for the left. That's why I find it that I'm not trying to yeah, I get I'm not trying to pin the blame on the left, no, yeah. right? I mean, there's a lot going on here, but I do think there's a question about, for example, why I haven't seen that paper, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I just as somebody who's interested in this conversation, mm -hmm. who's written about it a lot, it hasn't. I haven't come across it, and you know, of course, uh, the academic's response would be, "Well, son, that's your responsibility to go and find." what you think is interesting, no, but, of course, but we're not having an academic discussion, mm -hmm. right? We're having a discussion course, about yeah. politics I have, in the public I have space. a question, and I'm, I'm just uh, yeah. framing a hypothesis here. So you're saying that you know, the media tends to also ignore the work that you guys are doing. And I'm wondering, is one of the reasons for that is that the left also seems to come into action on the rare occasions when the government exercises its writ. And what I mean by that is the government may exercise its writ on public executions, on executions, or on, you know, eliminating a basti in the middle of a city. And the left engages itself at the time when the government, whereas people are always wanting to see the government exercise its writ in one way or the other. And the, the left is there to make sure that no excesses happen, which is partly also why that in some ways there's less sympathy or maybe the media just looks at it and thinks that, you know, why are you being an unnecessary anchor to what may be a necessary action. Is there any yeah, merit I mean, to that? Absolutely. I mean, I think our, our understanding of the state and, and the degree to which we call it out um, and at, at multiple points, I think, is, is, uh, is part of the reason. It's, it's one of the main reasons that we, that we don't get uh, that much coverage. But to degree to which that's fair, I, I mean, I, I feel like, honestly, like it's only just started to happen, to be very honest. Like, up, uh, several, uh, like possibly before the Musharraf emergency, this simply did, could not happen. You could not openly speak or, or question the state or question why it was executing people or how it was conducting operations. I mean, for several decades, we had not had that level of public discourse where we could talk about these things. So these things are happening. And but quite honestly, this came, is the only way How did the space come about? <coughs> it's a fascinating story, right? Mm -hmm. Where The space that we have today, fine, not fine, in fact, Principally, of course, it was the struggles during the Zia era and some of the heroes of that era that really we, we owe a lot to. But specifically on the lawyers' movement, that really was an exp it was a center-right expression of uh, of discomfort with the continuation of Musharraf's era. I, I mean, I'm happy to be challenged on this, but that was a center-right expression. It, it, you know, some of the lawyers who, who speak English really well and, you know, who, who we know would argue that because they wouldn't want to be associated with that and they'd say that their principles were very clear and they were the leaders. My, but but the people on the streets, you know, the, 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 the street power of that lawyer's movement was a center-right... Uh, so, so uh, yeah, I agree. My only sort of uh, expression on this would be is that I actually do think the left led it, articulated it, but its actual value in terms of pressure came from the center-right. So Mintos I was involved, so the left led it. I yeah. mean, name, name another leftist who was involved. At, I mean, at the people like Amar was there, Etazaz Essen was there. Etazaz Essen uh, is from the Pakistan People's Party. Yeah. Oh, oh, so are you certifying the PPP as a left party? It is a left party. I, I really... It's a, why don't we <laughs> ask the leftist? Uh, yeah, tell us. I mean, it's a very complicated relationship, but I don't think the PPP can call, be called a left party in this day and age anymore. They were one in, in, in their day and age, like in, yeah. at some point in their past, but now like they're we on born, every single before principle. Before we were born. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, I think there's... I mean, I, I, mean I, get, I agree the PPP has, has it's, it, or it occupies part of the progressive space in Pakistan, and, and, and I think oh, it's still no, important. No, only on social, no, only on, 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 certain on, the, social, on issues. the social and sort of violent Like, for instance, you can issue. always trust them to, like, vote for the domestic violence bill, or, or you know, to come on the streets, or, or maybe make yeah, some but critical... but that's not a left value, that's yeah, exactly. a neoliberal. I exactly. mean, right it's now, fairly, that's a neoliberal space, that's not a leftist. Right now, I mean, the PPP is a fairly center-to-center-right party, to be honest. I mean, 
in terms of most of the positions they have adopted, the degree to which they have just stood by the military at every single point, the degree to which they have adopted this, the national security discourse, the degree to which um, their patronage structures. I think, no, but it's like not it's just the rhetoric stuff. Go and look at their governments. No, no, no. In, yeah. in, in, I, in I, sin. I, I, mean, I those, agree those with that. Those are not leftist governments. But my point being is, I think in Pakistan, the way at least I judge parties and everything is, I think that everything is veered so much to the right that a party cannot even afford to enunciate those values without, you know, an en masse rejection. Well, the fact, these guys, these guys are doing it. Yeah, but unfortunately, the. I mean, they're not the PPP, even the PPP, as decimated as it is. The PPP has not been decimated because it took leftist positions. And No, I agree. I mean, come on, like, right? I, let's just be, no, because I, I, a lot of the old PPP, especially when they're in the big cities and, and, and everybody's perfumed and shaven, you know, you know, there's this whole sort of sales pitch, right? That, oh, the PPP, progressive values, left of center, you know, if you want, you know, if you want to emancipate the poor in E7 and Gulbarg, you know, the PPP's your guy. Like, that's not happening, right? Oh, and no, I think, no. And I think it's based on also a very systemic misunderstanding about the PPP's own history and its own role in undermining and decimating the left. Like, it was the, it was Bhutto who started to, like, to who dismissed the NAP governments, like, the only truly sort of progressive sort of uh, governments or state, provincial governments that ever existed in this country. He, he paved the way for the, I mean, people talk about the Islamization stuff he started, that, that's true on its own level, but also systematically undermining uh, collective left-wing and working-class organizations, labor unions, trade unions. I mean, he 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 was he came to power on it, and he then he systematically undermined it. So I think it's a very, it's very, it's a very obviously you can complicate it at, at the very least, but it's a very dubious history at at, at worst in terms of still. At when all is said and done, the few people in the PPP who do have a conscience and who really, in many ways, are the conscience of, course, yeah, of, of the nation, absolutely. you know, sit sit and stand. In the people assembly. like Reza Rabani, for instance, people like her, people like Sherry Rahman, yeah. people who stand in the parliament and actually stand up for women and stand up for minorities absolutely. and actually, you know, go out of their way and in many times put their lives at risk. I still think, for all its faults, there is a moral sort of compass, a part of the moral compass that the PPP gets right. Mm -hmm. uh, I just think that giving it more credit than is due as a party because of the individual bravery and brilliance of the Raza Rabbanis and the Shari Ramans and the Antazazas. No, I, I buy it. It's, it's, it's functionally um, a party that's regressed. It has huge issues. It doesn't deliver. But I do think that you know the values of the left are still imbibed by and large in the party, not practiced necessarily. not, And, there, and I think like in this day and age, even to have a party that pays lip service to it is a big thing. This is kind of the, this is, this is exactly what, this I has mean, become I mean, our national discourse, right? Like, I mean, this is exactly me with the, with the whole security establishment, right? Yeah. That the fact that, oh, well, they finally sort of, you know, like mem some members of the LEJ went so far off the grid, yeah. so deeply, farly, desperately off the grid that, you know, a few sort of, you know, fingers got wrapped and, you know, Few people lost their lives. Yeah, I think I think for a very long time, and I think this afflicts uh, political discourse across Pakistan and political parties as well. I think we're, we're we're doing representational politics, like in the in the sense that we are just simply trying to be a representation of what the politics is actually supposed to be about. Whether it's like whether it's like the PTI with this whole revolutionary sort of like it's 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 a representation. It's a, I think it's it just seems like more of a caricature of what it's actually supposed to be because there's no real resistance embedded in their actual political praxis. Similarly, the PPP is just. Well, hold on a second. A, Let's. Uh, you're saying that there's no resistance that the P, that the PTI doesn't represent resistance. Here's what I'll say. Not, and and I'm known like I'm known by a lot of like Insafians to uh, be sort of anti-PTI. Here's what I'll say. If there's no PTI today, like. They'll be plastering and, and asphalting like every nook and cranny of what shouldn't be plastered and asphalted. The only resistance to this government right now politically is actually coming from the PTI. Now that, that may I mean, be a sad commentary. On, yeah. It may be a sad commentary on the state of affairs, but if there's no Imran Khan and no PTI, oh, we're looking at another 1998 with the, with the whole Khilafat and the... What was it, the leader of the Amirul Mumineen? Amirul Mumineen. No, so here's what I think. I, I mean, I, I agree with you I mean, in terms of the dynamic between the PMLN and the PTI. 
I think, and again, I think the PTI has an important historical role that it has been playing and it will probably continue to play. Similarly, the PPP has been important historically. I can't simply say, oh yeah, they're not left enough and whatever, they're useless. Because, I mean, for a very long time, there was no left at all. And so the PPP was the only thing left, like the only party left who was even articulating a semblance of sort of progressive values, whether it's standing up for women or minorities or any such sort of um, issue. But, and, and similarly, the PTI, I mean, fine, it has, you can say that it's an oppositional force that can keep the government in check in, in some respects. But I, I, all I think is we shouldn't label them what they're not. So the PPP, yes, it has, it's an important voice in Pakistan and it's a bulwark against um, the worst excesses of authoritarianism and extremism, but it's not a left party, right? It's not, it's not a socialist party, for instance, right? And similarly, the PTI, it's, it's, I mean, you can say that, yeah, it, it, it performs and it has an oppositional character. It's, it's a populist party for, for certain. It has a lot of elements of like cultural uh, nationalist populism that it demonstrates, but it is not it is not radical in its content. It's not like uh, it's not like uh, positing any fundamental uh, transformations to the. To the I think a lot of a lot of PTI standard. supporters would argue with you very vehemently. Well, I mean, so I against mean, the status quo. But I mean, you can simply look at... No, it is against the status quo. You can and simply look at the people represented... At the, you can look at the people who stand on stage. You can look at every <coughs> single person who's at the dharna. I mean, who are the people who form the... Uh, the like the basic core of the people. Yeah, but if you ask, yeah. even I think if if you had Imran Khan and he was really tired and he started telling the truth for a little while, he would tell you he doesn't really take people like Jahangir uh, Tareen and Alim Khan uh, as serious members. But he of uses their private. Of course, jets. he uses. Fine. Uh, look, I'm, <laughs> this is a weird place I, for me I, to I, be I in actually, where I'm I, defending I, 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 the PTI. Like I, I, I think yeah. he has a great degree of influence, both Alim Khan and Jahangir Tareen. If you ask a and lot Jamal of people in the party, yeah. 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 If you ask the rank and file, well, not the rank and file, but all the if people. If you ask the rank and file, Chaudhry, they will feel exactly yeah. the same way about those guys in the PTI as you and I do. You know that for a fact. They, a lot of the senior members of the party won't openly openly say it, but rank and file members of no, the PTI no, that no, have been no, with the party the for 15 is, years, the is none else. of them like no, these people. So, but, but the question is something else. The question is not whether they like or dislike them. The question is the degree of influence they have. And their degree of influence is inordinate and it is significantly large. So if you look and you ask anyone who does Imran Khan listen to, Jangir Tareen is one of those people. If you ask who can Alim Khan get anything done, yes he can. Shah Mahmood, can he get anything done? Yes he can. So I mean it's another question whether they're liked or whether they're appreciated, but they have a huge degree of influence in the party. I, and, I, I mean, I, I think, look, I think even beyond that, I mean, I, what, I, what I meant by saying that this is simply representing resistance when it's not really, I, like, I, I feel like the PTI, what that does is, for many people, it serves as a proxy for actually engaging in, like, resistance politics, you know? The PTI does not do resistance okay, politics. Okay, so this is exactly, you, you, you brought it exactly what I wanted you to bring it. Yeah. So we've determined that the PPP can essentially foe being lefty effectively enough to continue to dominate the effective left vote in the country. That is, people who are going to come out and vote when they feel like, okay, who's the one that's reasonably likely to win something and lefty enough? PPP's their guy. When people come out and vote for the PTI, essentially what you're saying, and I agree with you, is that those people that are looking for a radical departure from the way things have been done in this country for the last 60 years, they may have a spectrum of people who are radical departures, but just being a radical departure alone isn't good enough because you could be way off the deep end, which is what a lot of people consider some members of the left to be. And so what they end up doing is voting for someone like the PTI, who's done enough mainstreaming of the mainstream, if you will, yeah. who's appropriated enough nationalism and enough cultural sort of, you know, mainstreamism to actually be comfortable whilst being revolutionary. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think, you, I, I think you, you, you phrased it really well, and, 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 and this is a topic of particular interest to me. I also did my MA dissertation on the PTI, and, and, and everything, I mean, a, a lot of the things what you're saying are actually reflected in that. What I, and I, you've hit the nail on the head by saying that sort of, it's a, it's a comfortable change. I think, and that's what people, and again, and for its, the historical period in which it emerged, it makes sense that it, there would be a party that performs this role. But th that has to be just kept in mind, that it is change with continuity. It is not a radical departure from, it, it does not involve a change in the logic of the state. It does not involve a, 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 an engagement with the actual day-to-day -day exploitative economic relationships that actually immiserize people. So, so when I look at those, both those parties, Ahmad, what, I, what is missing, and I, I, there's people in both parties that I, like I consider my leaders, right? Like I think Arif Alvi 
I, I will say this publicly. Arif Alvi is one of my leaders. Like, I love him. Mm -hmm. uh, Sherry Rahman is one of my leaders. I love her. Uh, Raza Rabbani, disagree with how extreme he is on federalism. I, I love the fact that someone's out there doing that, right? So these people, these parties have, and of course, I have, there's several names in the PMLN that I could name. Despite all that, when I hear you speak, and when I see the work that you do, I don't see any Ahmad Rashids in this, in this party, which then begs the question, why isn't, despite the clarity of thought, the integrity and the passion, why isn't Ahmad and his band of good folk that call themselves leftist, for what compulsion, I don't know why, why aren't they more part of the mainstream? Why isn't... Why aren't they figuring out what Imran Khan and Bilawal Bhutto Zardari and Asif Ali Zardari have figured out? Not, not to suggest that you adopt the, the bad qualities of these people. Nobody's asking you to become Mr. 15%. Nobody's mm -hmm. asking you to lead a dharna that's leading nowhere and mm -hmm. you know, that's driven by ego. But they are actually good for the country in many ways. Mm -hmm. Both the, both the Zadari Bhuttos and the PPP and the Khans and Kaptans and, and the PTI. And so why aren't... Like, why isn't this crew, your crew, like you people, why aren't you part of that mainstream as well? Like, for me, that's actually a complaint that I have. Yeah. I don't feel bad for you. Mm -hmm. I'm upset with you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a bit upset with you as well. And I'll, get, I'll tell you why. Because I, I get it. This is, a, this is a conversation that is, again, it's happening. It's a central question we have to address. Like, how can we endear a population which has historically like rejected most of the ideas they're saying, or at least for a very long time, how can we endear our discourse to them? And there's many things we have to change about how we speak, about how we address, the, how we frame the questions that we try to raise. There's a lot of these things that, 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 um, that have to be done. But, but, but at the same time, like I, I, at the same time, I feel like it's a, like it's a question of, for, for, like for instance, for the right wing and for parties like the PTI, they already have like particular models of, of human beings that they can term as you know they're the embodiments of what they're trying to take society towards, right? So for for instance, the right wing has its idea of the good Muslim, right? So and good Muslim, and obviously then it's infused for many others with uh, with exhortations of nationalism of what it means to be a nationalist and you must believe in Pakistan's national security, and obviously for 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 the right wing also about being like how you practice Islam, how you give charity, like so many other things. The PT, PTI also engages with these discourses. And, and like appeals to this sort of model Pakistani, usually Punjabi or, or at least Pakhtun, or wherever closer to the state, this idea of, a, of what an ideal that we can aspire towards. Imran Khan, obviously, he's the, he's the embodiment of that sort of ideal. What we lack, I think, and what the left has lacked, is, is an ethic of practice about what we stand for. And I think that is part of the problem that because it, it, it got decimated, we haven't been able to like communicate what it actually means to be. Uh, what it means to be a socialist in, in, the, in this context, in this country, yeah, in because, this, in this because society. Because it's weird, right? Like, I think how, that's does it, how is it that Imran Khan gets to be the guy standing up for the poor guy, that sometimes even the PPP gets to be like, Khushid Shah gets to stand up for the poor guy, mm -hmm. and yet when you guys go and try and get the Kachi Abadis from being bulldozed, you guys get painted as the bad guys. Like, I'm, I'm just saying, what's the trick that's being turned in the discourse mm -hmm. that puts you Look, I, at I, a disadvantage. I, I, again, I don't see it as a trick. I see this as, I, I, it's, I think it's just a structural outcome of the way things are organized in Pakistan. I mean, and, and I, I mean, this relates a lot to this recent controversy about um, like the sociology textbook that we, that we encountered, right? Um, with, and how it's shared and how they, like, this is like an officially prescribed textbook by multiple examination boards by this widely read author. My sister even read that book for her exams, etc. Most of my students have read it, in which we basically, in the name of social sciences, in the name of sociology, you have been feeding society complete blatant lies about how there are certain nations that are inherently uncivilized, about how women are inherently inferior to men, about how social change is actually harmful, about how you cannot sort of, um, about how why the, the, the poor poverty exists because people are insufficiently religious, poverty exists because of wrong, uh, of wrong beliefs or, and because of laziness. So these, all of these things and these ways of thinking have sort of been and that's why you keep coming back to the state, because these are state-endorsed beliefs that have been seeped into society systematically in order to prevent them from mounting a critical challenge to the structures of power that exist. And this, for me, has been very systematic. The state of the social sciences in Pakistan today reflects this. And what we have bred is a society that cannot think critically, that cannot see or understand structures of power, 
that starts to understand everything as a conspiracy because they simply haven't been given the tools with which to understand that, okay, no, there are structures of power, the military forms part of that structure, the state politicians also form power. I mean, we've just been given these ideas of corruption, corrupt politician, foreign conspiracies, NGOs, or whatever, that whoever uh, tries to pinpoint ideas is, is foreign agent. And I mean, and these have seeped through. So anyone who's actually trying to come up with a radical critique saying, no, all of these people, it's not just about one or two politicians, it's not just about corruption, this entire order is rotting. It's rotten and we have to, we have to speak about it. We have to speak about the, the folks who are central to it, who are the most powerful in this as well. We have to speak about those who are abusing religion in his name. These are all of the things that mainstream parties simply do not do, and they continue to meander along. I um, but, yeah. just want to add you. Uh, just want to ask uh, three questions, really quickly, short. Sure. One, one is like when the Dharna was happening. One of the reasons why I didn't support is I believed that the state edifice and the writ was so weak. Any kind of revolutionary measure would actually be worse off. The state would actually wither away, it would fragment, it would be created. So I'm also wondering from the left perspective, you know, this whole thing of revolutions and changing things entirely from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. What's your perspective on this, whether a state like Pakistan could actually go through this without actually veering possibly even more to the right or more yeah. extremist? And um, then the second one is also, is that I find that, you know, one of the advantages that the PTI did have before, you know, all these electables came in, it was the one party in Pakistan with maybe, for men at least, the Jamiyat also, where anyone could actually potentially, the potential was there, that you didn't have to be from you know a certain background to actually make it into politics. It's not so true anymore about the PTI. But mm -hmm. when I look at left parties in Pakistan, they're led or they're staffed, at least some of the prominent ones from kids uh, who've gone abroad, who've put their life to it, but they're not actually representative of you know, the beneficiary, the poorest of the poor, do they actually go up? And the last one is, very quickly, is also that the left is also really known for interscene wars, oh, the yeah. most minor I of think things. It's like the tyranny of, tyranny of minor differences. Yes, within a very small exactly. Yeah. Well, I just I have mean, one follow-on. You said you were upset with... I, I won't be able to repeat. <laughs> you have to repeat some of these questions. <laughs> no, but what I'm are so you, sorry. What are you upset yeah, yeah. with me about for? You You put that on the podcast, and now I'm really, I'm really concerned yeah. that you're upset with me. No, I, I, we it's, have to, it's not... Are we going to end up no. in a fist fight? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably not. I haven't slept then for two days. How, so how dare you, <laughs> like, you know, differ <laughs> on my uh, minor <laughs> comment on, you know, women's rights. And, you know, somebody's, no, I don't believe that, you know women should have the right to do absolutely anything. They shouldn't murder. What do you mean you don't want to murder them? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know my, beef, my beef is not, it's not with you personally. I mean, I, I, it's more with your generation. I and your type. No, I feel, I, I honestly, and I, we've been, I've spoken about, I speak about this with my wife as well. Like, it's, it's a generational issue. Not just in Pakistan, many other places. It's a generational issue where I feel like you guys, and a lot of people in your generation, you drop the ball, honestly. I, I mean, agree. I, I mean, I, I think you guys just, yeah, you just stopped trying. I mean, or whatever. I mean, it's, and again, it's not a conscious sort of thing that you did. But there was this generational sweep which just said, okay, screw it. We're just going to go uh, into our careers. We're going to go focus on like these non-political things. We're not going to get involved in nitty-gritty, go out there, fight, engage, organize people, do all that, which people used to do like 30, 40 years ago and across the world. But then that entire idea of organizing, of, of collective struggle, of all, that was systematically decimated. And and so today, and when you and when you say this to me, like that, why isn't it coming more into the mainstream? Why isn't it? Well, we're just trying to emerge from these ashes, you know. Like, like the, the when we talk about depoliticization, the left keeps talking about this because we practice it, right? So we see it. Like when we're out there, like we're 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 trying to prevent demolitions from happening, and this is a very clear case of systemic injustice against people who are ruthlessly exploited in this economic system. They are, they're bombed back where they live. They come here looking for some kind of shelter. They, they're kicked out of here as well. And there's so many other things and how they're stereotyped, how they're demonized, and we're, we're, we're screaming ourselves livid for people to please come, show up, help us stop this. This is not right, you know? This is, look at this, there's, there's thousands of kids here. Like, what's going to happen to them? How can you just uproot a community like this? I mean, fine, you might have some twisted ideas of legality, which are, can be challenged fairly easily. But come on, you can see this is purely unjust. And, and so many people support it, you know? I mean, when we, I'm, I, we're on social media a lot and we share so many things and so many people, oh yeah, great work guys, we love you, yeah, amazing, we support the Awami Works Party, good job. But look, we don't need your likes, okay? We don't need your support. What we need is to be out here standing with us. This is not, not, this is not something we're doing for our careers. It's not, we're not getting paid for this. We're doing this because we feel it's necessary to have working people 
stand up for what because otherwise people working people in this country the working class gets crushed on a daily basis so again so for me and we, and we and the realize this and again it's not about like most of you guys and so many other friends i have who are not in the party i i i love them and i love you guys and they're they're very decent people i think it's a symptom of a society in which people have simply been deprived of the means to be able to engage in these forms of collective action who have de- deprived of the institutions that people require like look across the border at jnu like in india what's happening right now like this sort of thing would have been unthinkable in in pakistan right now and and the reasons for that i mean it, it even almost happened in lums right the unsilencing balochistan thing it was like almost the exact inverse of that the jnu folks had a documentary screening on kashmir and on abdul guru and how he was traditionally murdered etc etc and we were some students were trying the same thing here it was completely silenced some students tried to protest against it whatever it fizzled out because there's no unions there's no institutions to to collective organizations there's no mechanism of solidarity there's like dozens of universities of india have demonstrated in solidarity with jnu can you imagine that sort of a thing happening here you know that so not just, all, all you know that 70 74% approval rating what 74% who narendra modi in india yeah, yeah. yeah no, no absolutely and there's absolutely no i mean indian society is now going down the same road that we have been going down we we know this narendra modi is taking india in that direction but what 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 is remarkable to me is that because of the efforts of of certain people in in the past over there and for whatever number of reasons there are institutions of collective action of of democratic institutions uh, organized groups from labor groups to student groups to women's groups to dalit groups to so many other forms that can organized to resist the hindutva onslaught and they are doing it and they've mounted a pretty fierce challenge right now we cannot do that here we have we, i mean or at least we cannot do it nearly as effectively not even not even close you know and so it's and for me this so again it's a generational thing because i feel like this should have been continued you know why don't we have student unions in this country why are we still thinking about oh but is it really necessary but then our hatred no no, no 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 i think yeah. look i'm sort of and especially you know even if one doesn't agree with everything that you're saying the way that you say it just shows sort of the purity of it and uh, and i think that my generation does have some things to account for uh, fussy um yeah cuz i think you guys really dropped the ball <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but because uh, like when me and Namar, you know, like when when you are and Namar were born in about yeah, the, same, the same time, about the same twenty-five years yeah, back, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, I think one way of responding to what you've said is that there have been expressions of resistance uh, to the machine. it's just that those expressions are not they're not colored in the same they're not colored in the same coloring book that you want to use right like unfortunately mm-hmm. right and yeah, it's absolutely. a different palette the lawyers movement was an expression of resistance no, no, against the machine and that's partially where even the mild revival of the left has taken place in pakistan okay. as emerged and, and, the, and yeah. the other one and the yeah. other one whether we like it or not was the dharna you you don't have to like it mm-hmm. you don't have to uh, you know you don't have to deny the fact that there might have been sort of establishment sort of linkages uh, at the back end but those young men and women that were there either at the dharna itself or watching on tv or on social media calling you and me names fussy yeah. that those people really felt what what they were doing that that wasn't a fake that those kids are not faking their emotion that as pure as your feelings are for how you, for for those people mm-hmm. that they almost possibly have the exact same feelings as you but that they manifest themselves through this through this proxy for rage that they have which is the PTI machine and particularly kaptan so i think it's not fair to say that there's you know like the comparison with india i think it's always tricky we do have a very robust machine a counter machine machine right mm-hmm. that does pop up every now and then whether it was asma jangir and shalazia khan in the 80s leading the charge or whether we like it or not it was shafkat mahmood and shirin mazari in 2000 and 2014 no, absolutely right, and, right. and i even feel the pakistani for those who been involved in resistance pakistan have taken much greater risks than because the state here has been much more like it has been much more repressive in the sense that it's wiped out a lot more and like in, even people as what are still facing around the country and people like sabina mood they died for what they believe in you know and like even that sort of thing cannot happen as easily in india you can't just pick off academics and just their bodies turn up like well so, we live in a country where political parties can be first of all birthed, <coughs> first of all birthed hmm. and then sort of tried to 
reattached to the umbilical cord and then and then disconnected again and then reconnected. I mean, what we're seeing take place in Karachi is phenomenal. And, you know, it's almost like we're not allowed to talk about it, you know, partially because there's such a there's such a mainstream acceptance and celebration. It's like unbelievable the way that people have reacted to that Mustafa Kamal sort of, uh, uh, you know, speech. So, again, uh, the, the MQM, uh, you know, and, and its faults, just like the PPP and its faults, and the PTI and its faults, and the PMLN and its faults, lots of faults. But the fact that they've survived as political entities in this environment, in and of itself, is a testament to something right about them. And I think the my... The challenge, I accept the counter challenge, right? I accept the fact that there's been three generations that have failed you, mm -hmm. including mine, that we that leads to, to you guys standing virtually alone while trying to defend people's rights. But that at the same time, there have been other political actors and agents that have survived in yeah, the yeah, face absolutely. of the machine. I and, actually, and so, so why can't the left? I mean, that is a real... I, I'm not. I'm standing by that question, you know, mm -hmm. and that's a question for you, for Asim, for Madhya, for all the young left sort of leaning folks mm -hmm. in this country, young or old. We have to find a way for the left to be politically relevant in this country. I may not be ever supporting the Awami Workers Party, but a politically salient, electorally relevant Awami Workers Party is good for Pakistan. I, I believe that, and and you know, I'm I'm, I'm actually but just what we need is you, for you to help us sort of do that. You know, I mean, if you. I mean, if you don't, if you can fundamentally agree on a, a lot of the things that we've spoken of, I mean, the, I, I think it's, I think the need for a left in Pakistan is not just for the folks in the Awami Workers Party. I think Pakistan needs a left per se. Like any other society, we need a strong left. The reason our society has been entirely destroyed by uh, fundamentalist violence and authoritarianism is because the institution of the left were decimated. The absence of a left is what gives space to other more sort of regressive, uh, ideologies of resistance. But do you also appear. realize that so the right that the right has been decimated as well? That it, that when you see the Jamaat Islami picking up a Barelvi cause, mm -hmm. despite being a victim of the blasphemy law itself, I mean, you know mm -hmm. that members of the Jamaat are yeah, frequently. Yeah, it's the first so, time they're picking it up. So so why yeah. have they picked it up? It's because the right has also been decimated. That the, mm -hmm. that the that the vacuuming away of agency is cross spectral. Mm -hmm. It's not. But I mean, it, of course, it's disproportionately focused on those historically people it has been. that right don't now wear, they're facing that the don't wear green. Yes, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, no, yeah. I completely, that there's no question that there has been a hugely disproportionate effect on, on the left or everything that is essentially left of center, so including the center, which means that your center has drifted rightwards, which is what we've talked mm -hmm. about yeah. you know, in other conversations as well. But but that the challenge is, is in fact cross-spectral today. That there Absolutely, are, yeah, that there mean, are alliances, here's what I'm saying to you, it's a first, you know, right at the top of the conversation, you articulated essentially an agenda for reform. And I said, that's an agenda that everybody can sign up to. Once you put the red star on it, then it gives it a different color. It, it colors it differently mm -hmm. and it turns off some people. But the red star is important because it signifies something. It signifies that this is not simply, this is not some kind of cultural sort of revivalist resistance. This is not some simply re-articulating another form of project of nationalism. This is, the radical element in, 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 in this idea is that we do wish to fundamentally over, overturn the way in which the state is run. And, and, and you, one cannot simply mainstream that idea. And I think the way it will become mainstream is when there are sufficient folks who are organized enough who believe in these fundamental precepts that we stand for, who can then make a case for it in the political arena. So, Just quickly, yeah. so do you think Pakistan can stand up to a revolution? That is oh yeah, the so solution? on your question, yeah, yeah. two of your questions that, that were left in the back. I, like, I, I, I honestly, like, I don't think many people, anyone the left and well, serious persons working in the left in Pakistan right now is like waiting for the revolution to happen. I don't think we're anywhere close to it. And I think right now the task for any sort of left wing, any socialist party, is to move society towards the left. Is to simply create, whether it's uh, ideologically, whether it's to like sort of target and like undermine like ultranationalism, uh, fundamentalist and reactionary ideology that are pervaded across society, or whether it is to organize uh, like like uh, collectives of workers, of women, of my, of minorities, of of all of those who are at the brunt, bearing the brunt of the of the system that exists. So I, I don't think right now it's, it's to create these institutions that at some point in the future will be able to 
take on the established structures of power. So I think it is, it's, it's right now for us, again, it's more a question of rebuilding. I think a lot of people even say, okay, yeah, look, we're gonna vote for you. For, for us, really, that's, it's important and we're going into like the electoral arena as well because it's a very important to get your voice out. It's a way to project yourself, project your ideas out. But at the same time, it's really not about the votes for us. This, this simply electoral participation is not going to cut it. We need people to organize and engage in a politics of resistance, which means getting out there, getting your hands dirty in everyday politics, organizing across like uh, ethnic lines, across class lines, dealing with it, like uh, with the women question, like asserting sort of uh, the necessity for the liberation of women, working classes, of all sorts of social contradictions, and of finally being able to like look and observe the social contradictions that exist in this country and be able to talk about them and address them instead of engaging in fantasies conspiracy theory, which most of us are want to do. Great. That's, that's so, pretty heavy. It's very heavy. So we come to the end of our program today. We uh, would like to thank you. It was no, immensely, you, immensely illuminative and uh, very interesting. I've personally learned quite a bit. And I think that, you know, to call you a slumlord would be very unfair. I don't we never even got to talk about that. We started off with that, but yeah. next time maybe. We'll, we'll have another opportunity to do that, and uh, perhaps we can have other people representing the left on, in the future. I'm so grateful that you took the time, and as usual, it was an honest and really refreshingly honest conversation, and I, and I, and I love hanging out there with There is you. one thing about him when he says something about our generation. I do have this feeling all the time that I wish I had the integrity of people like Ahmad. Wish I, I, could think, have lived I think we all. I think yeah. we all. I think we all wish that. May Allah bless you and uh, you know support you and strengthen your hand and supporting the weakest and most vulnerable voices in our country. Thanks so much for joining us, Amar. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Fasi. All right. Goodbye. Lal salam. <laughs>